Hello and welcome to the Millennial Minimalist Podcast. I am your host, Kelly Foss, and together with my co-host, Lauren Morley, our mission is to help you simplify your life and live with greater intention. Together, let's live more with less. Hi everyone, if you feel like you have too much stuff and you want to start decluttering, or if you find yourself constantly decluttering and feel like you can't keep up, this episode is for you. Today we are speaking about how to declutter with purpose so that you can achieve a clutter-free home for good and make space for happiness. And to lead this conversation, I am joined by decluttering expert to the stars and best-selling author Tracy McCubbin. Tracy is the founder and CEO of Los Angeles' premier organizing and decluttering firm called Declutterfly, and she is the author of two best-selling books, including Making Space Clutter-Free, the last book on decluttering you'll ever need, and her latest writing, Make Space for Happiness, How to Stop Attracting Clutter and Start Magnetizing the Life You Want. For over the past 15 years, Tracy and her team at Declutterfly have been helping thousands of people declutter their homes and most importantly, discover the root of their clutter problems. Unlike many decluttering and organizing methods, Tracy and her team help their clients keep their homes clutter-free by working with them to discover their clutter obstacles and the behaviors that got them there. You will learn that clutter is an emotional issue and that we must realize and let go of what Tracy calls our emotional clutter blocks that keep us from decluttering our things, as well as our emotional clutter magnets that cause us to buy things we don't need. Be inspired to adopt Tracy's simple and realistic decluttering techniques and start reaping the great rewards that come with owning less. So we we met on Instagram. And uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't tell you this, but it was actually my dad who sent me one of your reels. <laughs> yes. My dad sent me your reel. You had shared a reel where you were talking about uh, a stand-up, a funny stand-up that Jerry uh-huh. Seinfeld did. And he was speaking about getting rid of all of his things. And my dad said, hey, you've got to watch this. And I said to myself, gosh, I have to interview this woman. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Oh, dad, that's so great. I know that Jerry Seinfeld bit is so, cause I always say it the not funny way. Like, I'm like, if you have your stuff in storage, you're never getting to it. Why? You know? So that was, that was so it really, that, that one touched a bunch of people were like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was actually the first time I saw the video. And, Uh and then I started looking into the work that you do. And I was like, yes, finally, (laughs) somebody who focuses on helping people solve the root of their clutter problems. And that's why I was like, I have to read your books and your, your books are wonderful. I learned so much. Yeah. Thank you, so Kelly. Much. Oh, this is so exciting. I'm so excited. I've been so excited to talk to you all week. I'm like, I oh, can't yay. wait to get on this. Yay. So actually in your latest book, Make Space for Happiness, you share studies to show how clutter is an emotional issue. And before we dive into it, to give our listeners a background on you, can you share the experiences that inspired you to help people declutter their homes and the moment that you realize that clutter stems from an emotional problem? This is my origin story is so funny. So I, I was definitely one of those people that my path was like figuring out what I didn't want to do. Like I would do a job for five years and be like, I don't want to do this. And I, and I always thought like, oh, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. And then I became a personal assistant and I loved it. 
I loved it. I loved it. I loved it because it was problem solving. And then while I was working for the person I was working for, people started calling me like, oh, hey, my grandma passed away. Like, you know how to do a lot of stuff. Can you help me with her stuff, uh, my paperwork? And it was a friend of mine that said, you know, I think you have a business. And I was like, what? No, I just help people. Like maybe they give me a little bit of money. He's like, no, no, no. I think this is a business that people need. So I put my little website up and I got my little flip phone and that was 17 years ago. And, you know, in the beginning it was me and my station wagon. And now I have 12 employees and a, you know, a warehouse that we sort through all this stuff. And really early on, it was, I just had this insight But the funny part is I didn't realize why I didn't put together why I had the insight. And I am the child of a hoarder. My dad is an extreme hoarder. And I have watched my whole life him struggle with his relationship with his stuff. So I had this innate understanding, but it took like five years for me to draw the correlation. (laughs) You know, I was like, yeah, oh, maybe this is why. So very, very early on, it was like it was just never about the stuff. It was about the emotional attachment, you know, and it was really, and I'd helped, you know, my grandmother when she transitioned and, and it all just sort of came together. And I was like, look, we can talk. I can put things in pretty bins and I can decant your pantry and I can do all that. But honestly, I'm not that interested in it. You know, I want my whole goal, Kelly, is that your home is a tool. And it's a tool that supports you and replenishes you and renews you and it makes you feel good. And if your home is full of too much stuff and full of clutter, it's working against you and not with you. Mm -hmm. And so I've never come from a place of like, oh, it needs to look perfect and your bookshelf needs to be rainbow. And look, if you want that, knock yourself out. But for the majority of us, we just want our home to function. And that's my whole thesis. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always tell my friends, you want your home to be a place where you walk in the door and you feel calm. You don't want it to detract from your life. But a lot of people, they have too much stuff. And so when they come home, they have added stress. And so the question is, how do I manage this stuff? And, uh, and, and yeah, I know I, I, you, you mentioned in your book that your father, he's a lawyer and, uh, he would push papers around all the time. And you pointed out that, you know, sometimes he'd be organizing, spending the time organizing when he could be spending time with you, for example. Right. And so hoarding takes away quality time from the most meaningful things in your life. But yeah, but back to the idea of coming home to a calm space. What I love that you emphasize in your books is how before you start decluttering, you ask your clients, hey, how would you like to move in your space? What is your lifestyle? You know, what are your needs? That way you have an idea of what their everyday looks like so that you can then go in and teach them the skills they need in order to maintain it. So I loved that. I thought that was great. And, and something I should add is my my co-host and I, we actually started a closet kit e-guide. And in that e-guide, it's a five-step process, very, very simple process. But the interesting part is that the first step is a questionnaire. So the whole idea is to uncover 
your habits, uncover your needs and figure out why you are the way you are and what you need in terms of clothes for your everyday, what your lifestyle looks like so that when it comes to making decisions, it's easier to make those decisions, right? Exactly. And that's the, you know, the thing that I always tell people is your stuff, your clutter is a constant decision. You all, where do I put this? Do I need this? Do I want this? We're full. Our life is full of so many decisions already. And then when you have all this clutter, you're making those decisions again. And we know that decision-making increases our stress. I love simplifying closets. I, you know, the people always ask me like, well, how's your closet set up? And I'm like, well, it's color coded. Cause that's pleasing to my eye. Amazing. But I also have at the front of my closet, I have my work shirts that I wear to clients because that's what I wear five days a week. And I just want to know that they're hung there. They're all back from the dry cleaner. I just grab them and I go and making that switch. It's like, that may not work for everybody, but for me, this section, great. I just, I don't even think about it. And I also wear a uniform to work. I wear the same frame jeans. I have three pairs. I wear the exact same shirts from lay shirt. I don't even think about it because I want to put my creativity into dressing for other things. For work, I want to get up, put my uniform on, and off I go. Wow, you're living exactly how we like to describe this process. It's, hey, we want you to be able to get dressed in seconds in the morning so that you're not making challenging, long, time-consuming decisions in the morning when it should just be a simple process that you can go focus on the things that you really enjoy, which is working with your clients, which is great. Now, on that topic, I'm curious what your process is in terms of the decluttering process that you work with. I mean, could you give us a taste of what that process looks like, including the questions that you may ask those that you're working with? Sure, absolutely. So again, the first place that I start with clients are, what's your goal? What do you, you know, what do you want? Well, I want to get organized. Well, why do you want to get organized? Well, because I'm a bad housekeeper. I'm like, nope, we're not talking. We're not coming from a place of negativity. We're not lazy. We're not bad housekeepers. You know, what's your goal? And then it becomes, well, you know, I want to get my guest room empty because a baby's on the way. You know, we need to make room for the baby. Or I want my parents to be able to come and visit me. Or I want to be able to park my car in the garage. Or I want to get dressed in the morning without bursting into tears because it's so frustrating. But a lot of times, Kelly, people just say, I just want some peace. I want some clarity and some space to think and to breathe. And it's like, great, great. Like that, to me, that is one of the best goals. And then we just start room by room. And it's, you know, it's, it's the old fashioned, like we pull everything out and like with like and keep, donate, recycle trash and just go through it. And, you know, so much of what I provide to my clients is, you know, I provide the physical labor, but I also provide the emotional support and I give them the permission. So one of the things that my business does, and we were sort of one of the first to do this is we take all the donations away at the end of the day. We take them to our warehouse and we sort them. So all baby clothes go to one organization. Animal shelter stuff goes to another. We do the work that our clients want to do. They want the stuff to not go in the landfill. So that's part of the service. So when we do that, it's like, oh, I can let this go and know that it's not getting thrown in the landfill. Yeah. And it's, it's being used for a better purpose, right? It's getting a better purpose out of it. You actually share an example in your book of how 
you had, I think it was a pair of trousers or a pair of jeans or something and you donated it. And then a few weeks later, you saw someone wearing it and you saw a girl wearing it and you're like, wow, someone's making great use of it. So I thought that was- Well, that story is very interesting too, because first of all, I bought those pants after a terrible breakup and I was super skinny, like breakup skinny. And then when, of course, when I like had a piece of bread, I could never get into them again. So I was not only- (laughs) beating myself up that I'd spent a lot of money on the pants, that I couldn't fit into them anymore. They reminded me of the breakup and I was keeping them front and center in my closet. So it was like a beacon every morning, like you're a terrible person. I was like, I can't do this to my, this is no good. So I donated them to a organization near my house that helps kids get off the streets, homeless kids. And like you said, a couple of weeks later, I saw this young woman and they were my pants. They were very specific pants. There was no world where she, it just, I knew it. I proximity, all the things. So I called my friend who was the director of development for the organization. I said, Oh, it's so funny. I saw this young woman going to her job in the coffee shop wearing my pants. And she was like, Oh yeah, that's so-and-so. And she's doing great. And she's getting her GED, which is her equivalent of her high school diploma. And we've got her a job. And, you know, she was sex trafficked from the age of 10 wow. until, you know, now. And I was like, can I give her my whole closet? Like, yeah. you know, um, that I was holding on to this thing to make myself feel bad when there was this person in the world who'd been through something that's unimaginable to me and me letting go help someone else. It's amazing. And I tell people this all the time. If letting go, if decluttering is difficult for you, remember that if you give to smaller organizations or if you give to a friend or if you give to your babysitter or your housekeeper or you know, the church or your school, letting go, knowing that it's going to someone is going to be easier. And you just have to trust that when you let go of it, it will get to the person who needs it. Yes. Yes. Very well said. It's so true. My my mom is a daycare worker and she looks after a few kids and one of the kids she looks after has an older sister and she gets all of my clothes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it actually feels so good. I mean, I ran into her at the Christmas market last year and she was wearing my jacket and my jeans and my shoes. And I was like, this is amazing. You know, knowing that, yeah, knowing that's going to this girl, it's easier for me to let go of it because a lot of those items are what if items? Oh, well maybe one day. And I was like, no, if it's not my favorite item, donate it. It's not, you know, and and Kelly, didn't it make you so happy to see her look so cute in it? You were like, oh, this was just hanging in my closet, gathering dust, taking up space. And here's this young woman and she looks great. It just Mm -hmm. fills you with such joy. It's so interesting. I really think that if it's hard for people who are listening to let go, that maybe throwing everything in a garbage bag and putting it at a big box thrift store isn't for you right? Maybe that, and that's one of the things talking about the process when I work with clients is like, I find out, like I have some clients who are like, I don't care, wherever it goes. And I'm like, great, I will manage that. And, you know, and then I have other clients who's like, it's very, this organization is very important to me. It's like, great, then let's make sure it gets there. So I think in your decluttering process, it's really important to like figure out, you know, where you want things to end up and do you need to make it a little more specific to make it easier to let go? 
Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that you're having these conversations with your clients. You're working with them. You're not just doing the work and and leaving, right? You know, there's the show Get Organized with the Home Edit, which, you know, it's great. It's beautiful after. But I would always challenge that show to say, hey, I mean, you, these clients of yours are not learning how to declutter. How are they going to maintain their homes, right? So <laughs> to me, that show is always just a makeover show. It's like a decorating show. You're like, all yeah. right, you decorated, but there's no skills. I I, I always had to sort of call things out, but I have had a number of clients, about three, who were on the show Hoarders, and all they wow. did was build a shed in the back and move everything into the shed. So I, I got it, and it didn't stick. You know, they didn't do the work. So I came in and like had to go. You know, not had to, but went through and helped them process. And you know, I think that. You know, I just, I just think they're doing everybody a disservice because they're not showing the process, you know, and as a child of a hoarder and understanding that it is a mental disorder and it's not as simple as just throw it away, that I think that not showing people the true process, they didn't do us any favors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My, my co-host always laughs. She's like, I would love to see those homes three months after <laughs> they're a disaster. <laughs> oh, not even three months after they'll, they'll aim the camera. So you don't see half the house. Oh, like they wow. just shoot, shoot down, you know, so it's, That's... you know, it's TV, it's the magic of TV, but yeah. it, it it is. And so for me, it's really understanding the process, right? Like, how did you get here? What are you, you know, what are you hiding from? What are you, you know, what are you avoiding? Cause sometimes a lot of times we use our stuff to avoid. You know, if I go into somebody's house that's very cluttered and it's so cluttered that they're uncomfortable having company over, I'm always like, but why don't you want to see people? What's going on with that? You know, what's, well, I got fired from my job and I put on all this weight and I just don't really want to see my friends. I'm like, then let's talk about that and how the stuff affects that. Mm-hmm. And and that goes into your latest book, which I'm so excited to talk about. But first, I want to add that you said that seeing our stuff is the first step to eliminate it. And I was like, I love that because I actually interviewed uh, Lighty Klotz, who wrote the book Subtract. And mm-hmm. he argues that when it comes to the phrase, we should start, stop and go, we should change it to stop, start and go. We need to stop. We need to reflect and we need to evaluate why we are here. Like, why is it a mess? How do we get here? And and again, this goes actually first into your first book. In your first book, Making Space Clutter-Free, you share how clutter stems from what you call emotional clutter blocks, which you define as mind traps that we can get stuck in when it is difficult to let go of things. And I was like, yes, okay, that makes sense. Okay, so there you talk about seven main emotional clutter blocks. Now, can you share a couple of the most common ones that you see and how we can work through these areas? Absolutely. So when I realized, when I started, I was like, I'm having the same conversation with client after client, that there are these universal stories that we tell ourselves about why we can't let go. And they're everything from clutter block number one to my stuff keeps me stuck in the past. You know, that was, you know, clothes I used to fit into. I'm 57. Wow. Almost, almost Gen X boomer here, but my body's changed. I'm, it's so funny. I'm the exact same weight. It's just 
gravity moved it. There's clothes I'm not going to fit into. And instead of beating myself up, it's like, no, 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 I'm still here. I've had an amazing life. Okay. That skirt doesn't fit. Let me give it to my niece, you know, but holding onto it. I see so many people, I have to get back to that weight. That was the weight I was when X, Y, or Z happened. And it's like, what you're telling yourself with that is that your best days were behind you. And I'm like, no, 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 we look forward. We, we go forward. So that's a a great one. Um, Clutterbuck number six, the stuff I keep paying for. Well, I bet I spent really good money on this. I can't let go of it. You know, this was really expensive. I joke all the time that I go into clients' bedrooms and they'll have this giant treadmill smack dab in the middle of the bedroom. And I'm like, do you use it? And they're like, oh, every day to hang my clothes on, yeah. you know? <laughs> so it's that we hang on, like sometimes we just made a bad purchase. Sometimes we're human. We do a thing. We make a bad purchase, you know, and then we hold on to it to beat ourselves up. One of my other favorite ones, and you'll love this, is clutter block number five, I'm not worth my good stuff. And this is like not wearing your nice blouses, not burning the fancy candles, not using the china, having all this stuff that you deem is too nice to use. And I'm like, use it. Wear the nice blouse, wear the cute shoes, put the good lipstick on. Like, if not today, when? If not today, when? Mm -hmm. And I think that one, people just get so stuck in. Just, I'm like, wear your pretty stuff. Feel amazing in it. Mm -hmm. That actually was my favorite quote growing up. If not now, when? (laughs) (laughs) If not now, when, if not now, when, you know, and I I think I did a little thing on Instagram that was so cute. Like the kind of height of the lockdown, you know, I was like, everybody let's have pizza on our nice plates tonight. Like we've been stuck in our house for a year and everyone like, like showed little teacups and a piece of pizza or a cookie. And I'm like, why not? Why not serve yourself on your China? Why have it if you're not going to use it? This is so true. I mean, I think that most people, they have a dining space, which first of all, how often do we actually use our dining room? I mean, we have a kitchen (laughs) where we have our our dining table, but then we have a dining room, which we use maybe twice a year. And what's funny is we have this beautiful china and silverware that just sits there throughout the year collecting dust. And I always think, oh, can I use this glass? And you know, my mom would be like, no, you can't use that one. That's the nice stuff. It's like, well, what's the point of having it if you're not going to use it? Exactly. I had two girlfriends over for dinner two weeks ago and we hadn't seen each other in like seven or eight years. So it was a big reunion. A friend came in from the UK and, you know, I just made a roast chicken and a salad. And, but I brought out my, you know, the nice China I inherited from my mom. And they were like, why are you? And I'm like, because this is special. I haven't seen you. We haven't been in a room together in seven years. Like, okay, you know, this is so nice. And they're like, but aren't you afraid it's good? I'm like, and then it breaks. Yeah. Who cares? Like, it does, like, what are, and I think that, you know, we, and I think this is very interesting for millennials to understand that Mm -hmm. the idea of collecting is a very modern idea. It really came into play with the advent of the middle class and post-World War II. And so people were showing, oh, look, I make a good living. I have money. I'm going to collect this stuff. So I'm going to buy Yadro and I'm going to buy Hummels and I'm going to buy objects just to show that I can buy them. And so what I want to flip the conversation is you have all these beautiful things, use them, 
maybe they break. Okay. You know, like enjoy them. Enjoy that. If not today, when? Yes. I love this mentality that you share in. I think that a lot of people in the, the baby boomer generation, they they learn to collect all these items and save all these items. And uh, Gen Y, arguably millennials, myself, we learn to, oh, we don't really need that stuff. And then Gen Z, they're like, we don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I can't tell you how many of my boomer clients are so mad. Like they're angry. They're like, my son's daughter-in-law doesn't want my China. I'm like, okay. She's like, she has to take it. I'm like, no, she doesn't. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? And that, and then also I think that millennials and Gen Y and Gen Z are, you know, they're starting to see that, like, they're seeing all this stuff in the thrift stores. They're seeing it all in the consignment stores. And they're like, oh, but if I take it, I'm just, it's, it's just, there's so much of it. Like, why is it so special? Cause it's actually not like if anybody's tried to shop old China, it's not that expensive. Like mm-hmm. you can find it. And so I think we're realizing like, oh, this is, has a life and where does it go after this? I, I love, that's one of the things that I love about the generations below me, like the thrift store shopping and the buying secondhand and like, do I really need it? And, you know, it, it's so funny because I feel like boomers sort of say, oh, well, you know, the kids today, everything's so disposable. And I'm like, actually, I don't think so. I think it's more that they just don't collect in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. But I understand because their parents didn't have much. So they learned to accumulate all of that stuff. So it's an interesting cycle, but it's, it's good to see that that is changing, right? We're, we're letting go a lot more. We're learning to let go, which is great. And, and in this, this first book, I mean, so in response to making space clutter free, you talk about how, you know, after the release in 2019, everyone was getting excited. They started decluttering, especially during the pandemic. And you helped so many people during the pandemic. But you realize in that process that people that were decluttering were still overbuying, which inspired your latest book, Make Space for Happiness. And you go a layer deeper by sharing that there are seven emotional clutter magnets. So again, there's seven emotional clutter blocks and now seven emotional clutter magnets, which you describe as when we buy excess things in an attempt to feel our emotional goals, like true connection, big love, confidence, and purpose. Now of these seven emotional clutter magnets, what would you say is the most common magnet that causes us to buy what we don't need or what feeling are we seeking the most? Yeah, I think I would probably have to say strong self-confidence that we're buying things to feel better about ourselves. I mean, look, I'm a woman, I'm a woman in menopause. It feels like everything I buy has the word anti-aging stamped on it. Like this little bottle, this look, and I love skincare. I love taking care of my skin. I, you know, I love all of it, but nothing, if they had figured out the magic potion, we would have, it wouldn't be for sale on Instagram for $29.99. You know, we would know about it. And you look at a woman like Sharon Stone, you know, I see her on Instagram, not wearing makeup and, you know, she's probably had some stuff done, but she hasn't Mm -hmm. gone to an extreme and she's not afraid. Like she's 62. She's like this idea that we have to stop aging and look like we were 30. It's just such a bill of goods that's sold to women. And, you know, and I, so I think that that idea of magnetizing our self-confidence through the stuff we buy 
it, it doesn't stick with you. It just, it's, that's not where your confidence comes from. Your confidence comes from what good are you doing in the world? How are you helping your community? How are you being better for the planet? That's where you get self-confidence. You want to feel good about yourself? Go once a week to your elderly neighbors and take their trash cans out. Like mm-hmm. that will make you feel better than any neck cream in the world. Um, so that's a big one that I see. The other one that I see a lot is true connection that we mistake buying and shopping for truly, we either use it to avoid it. We're feeling lonely. So we go online shopping. We, you know, we retail therapy, we go shopping with a friend, you know, that we've kind of put this idea that shopping makes us feel better, which it does because we get a little dopamine hit. But the Mm -hmm. dopamine hit doesn't last. So we're like, oh, I got to buy more. And it's like, and then you're buying more and then you're buying more. And then like online shopping, you get the dopamine hit when you put in the cart, when you buy it, when the package shows up and you just get in this cycle of acquiring to try and feel better and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, you, you point out two things. One thing it may, you made me think about is how, yes, we're constantly being told by marketing messages that we're not good enough. And even at, I'm almost 36, I am being told you need all of these creams. You're getting old. You need anti-aging. You know, I even go into a store, they're, they're referring me to all the anti-aging products. And I'm like, my goodness, if I, yeah. I, could, I could fall down this rabbit hole if I choose to, but thank goodness I'm more mindful and realizing that most of that stuff is the inside out anyways. Just wear sunscreen. We interviewed a dermatologist recently, but it's interesting because it's those emotional fears like, okay, I want to feel beautiful. You know, I don't have this confidence. It's like, I want to buy all these products that will make me beautiful when really you got to find that in other ways. And something else you pointed out in your book, which I found fascinating is I think that a lot of people who overbuy or buy things for brand names and whatnot, they're going out there because maybe they're lonely and they want to interact with the retail salesperson. There are people yeah. who overbuy just to have that connection because they don't have a lot of people in their lives. So they're like, oh, I'll go buy more things from you because you you make me feel special when I do that. So that's absolutely. Cool. And the you know, and the other side of that same coin, Kelly, is this like you know, social media marketing that you're like, oh, my friend on social media. Well, they're not your friend. You just what are they? There's a word for it where they're your social parasocial bestie. That's oh, parasocial wow. bestie. So that you become so familiar with someone on social media that you think that you're friends. And that, so it's like, oh, my friend, Alex Earl is telling me to buy this bloom powder. Mm. Well, Alex Earl's telling you to buy the powder because the powder's paying her a lot of money to tell you, you know? And so we got really um, mixed up thinking that they're selling to us. And, you know, I think this idea to, and and again, this full circles back to what we were talking about, you know, and this is what I talk so much about in Make Space uh, Space for Happiness is I'm not saying you're never going to shop again. I'm not saying you're never going to need things, but if you find yourself over accumulating, over buying, start to pay attention, stop, start to pay attention to what you're feeling in that moment. You know, do you online shop because you're stressed about work? You do you, you know, what's emotionally going on? Oh, and I really wanted to say this to you, Kelly. One of the best things for anti-aging, all the longevities have shown it, friendships. Ah. That is one of the best 
things they have done. They have studied people in their hundreds and they have found that constant low impact exercise, walking, you know, doing some kind of brain game, crossword puzzles, mahjong, but the biggest indicator of longevity is social connection, Mm -hmm. friendships. That's the best anti-aging. I love that so much. You actually mentioned how a lot of people are lonely and it's because of that loneliness that they end up over shopping. You said, quote, we lean on coping strategies like shopping to avoid being alone, but we need more connection with others, not more stuff. So I pulled that. I was like, that is so powerful. That's so true. And the other thing that's so interesting with that too, is I think that this is where social media feeds in. Like you don't feel years and years ago, I had a friend who smoked and I know everyone's like pencils dropping. What? (laughs) You know, the smoking era cigarettes. And she used to say that the thing about, she never felt lonely when she was smoking because if she was a party and didn't know anybody, she could go out on the patio and have a cigarette and she looked cool. Or if she was home alone on a Saturday night, she was smoking a cigarette, not home alone. And I think that that is what social media is like, well, I'm not alone. I'm scrolling through Instagram or I'm on TikTok that we're sort of avoiding how lonely we all feel and that we're not, you know, connecting with others. And we are pack animals. We are tribal. We need to connect. And I just think we fall down. So then it's this like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm really lonely, but I don't think that I am because I'm on social media. And then these people who I think are my friends, my parasocial besties are telling me to buy things. And so then I'm buying things. And then you're in this Mobius strip that just ends you up with too much stuff. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that quote that like a man's problems stem from his inability to be alone in a room. Right. And so, uh, and you know, admittedly I've had my moments too. I'm obsessed with podcasts and there was a moment in my, in my past where I would just listen to podcasts on blast all the time because it's like, they're in the room with me, you know, totally. it's like, it's, especially during COVID. It's like, oh, here's a sense of community. I mean, it sounds sad, but I think a lot of us do it. And No, uh, I mean, I think we were all doing it. And I think that we can't discount how much we lost community. Mm-hmm. And you know that if someone's listening today and is like, all this stuff is like, oh yeah, that's me. Oh yeah, that's me. Like, can you reach out to a friend? Can you make a date? Can you go for a walk? Can you... Mm-hmm put on your tennis shoes and not go shopping, but say like, Hey, let's meet and let's walk around the lake or let's have a cup of coffee. I mean, my best friend, since we were four years old, we have 53 years of friendship is flying in today. And I am over the moon, That's like over, over the moon. And just, you know, but I didn't see her for two and a half years or two years. Like we would FaceTime, but you know, just to like have people in person. And I think that if you're feeling lonely, you're not alone. There's so many of us that have that and that you also do something like, you know, as your grandma always said, like, you're not going to meet somebody sitting at home, like make a plan, put yourself out there. I, I, I talk about this in the book and I still to this day think it was the just genius idea. I had a friend's daughter who moved to the Pacific Northwest and okay. didn't know a soul, moved for a job, didn't know anybody, went on Facebook and was like, I'm moving to this city. I know no one. Do you want to fix me up on friend blind dates? Like I want, like I am opening myself up to be introduced on friend blind dates. She met 
all kinds of people. Oh, my cousin, my niece, my best friend I went to college with. She was like, I, my social card has never been full. She met a core group of people. She's like, some people we didn't click, but it was a nice cup of coffee. I was like, that is the most genius thing. The most genius thing. And it was, she was like, it was a little scary to put myself out there and be like, I'm going to this place and I'm worried I'm going to be lonely. And I'm like, I know, but you're so brave for doing that. And the outcome was fantastic. Yeah, I think that is becoming cool. So in the past, <laughs> dating apps weren't cool and now they're cool. And so are apps that help you find new friends in new cities. I My sister moved to Agora Hills for a couple of years. And in those two years, she went on a couple apps and she met an amazing group of friends who she's still friends with. So I, I do really advocate using those. I think it's a great oh. resource. Yeah. I met my husband to be, we're getting married in a month. I met him on a dating app. And my sister-in-law, who's a scientist, was like, it's math. You're never in your life going to come in contact with that many people. Yes. Like there was an interesting article years and years ago. I should find it for you, Kelly, and send it to you in the New York Times about like basically the kind of luck of love. Like how do you find love? And they were like, oh, no, no. And this must have been before the apps because I don't think they referred them. They're like, oh, no, no, you go to every dinner party you're invited to. You go to every work function. Like it's a numbers game. And I don't mean to, you know, it's connecting with someone. But if you work at home, if you work from home and the only place you go is the coffee shop around the corner, your statistics, your statistical chance is so low. Like put yourself out there. And that's where in some ways the apps are amazing. Mhm mhm. Oh my gosh, we we've, we've done a few episodes on dating relationships and it's always so fun for us. I was in long relationships and then my my co-host, she was always single and now she's in a long relationship. I'm the single one. So, it's interesting, but uh no, I I think that dating apps are great and that's really exciting to hear. I'm happy for you. That's amazing. You're getting married in a month? Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. Congratulations. I mean, Thank I think you. that gives a lot of us hope because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are also on the app. So, um, yeah. No, I- and you know, it was, I was very, and it, I think this will also go back to sort of strong self-confidence that I was in a place in my life where my life was great. My business was great. I had an amazing friend circle. My family was happy, happy and healthy. You know, I was, I was like, if I, it's like bonus if I meet somebody, like mm-hmm. that's the, that's where I went onto the apps with, like, I don't need someone to feel complete, that's complete not the right word, but I, I'm doing great. And so I went on with like, this is, you better value add to my life. That right. was my whole, you better value add to my life. I met a lot of great guys. Most of them weren't for me. I met my guy. I met my guy and he value added to my life. And I really think that my advice about the the apps is that just go in like, I don't need you to fix me. I want you to value add to my life. And I think that removing the excess from your life has probably really aided to that because for me, for example, I, you know, I've removed the excess. I'm managing it with this lifestyle. You have more time for reflection. You start to dig deep and realize what you really want out of life and what you really need in a partner. And I'm also coming from a good place right now. I'm coming from a place of, I love my life and whoever's going to join my life should also love their lives and we can amplify each other. It's the best place to be. You never want to go on to those things feeling like, oh, you know, just like in, you know, emotional clutter box saying, hey, I need a, I need some confidence. I need a sense of connection, like, you know, coming from a place where they can't find it on their own. Exactly. And, you know, I, I helped this woman whose husband had passed away. I think they were in their forties 
and sort of five years had passed and she was ready to start dating. Mm -hmm. And so we were going through her closet and I was like, and she was just like, oh, oh, you know, holding on to everything. And that, you know, and I, I was like, would you wear this on a date with a new fella? And she's like, oh no, that's like some schlubby old t-shirt. Like, and I was like, out. Like that was the litmus test for everything in your closet. Would you wear this on a date? Would you wear this? Would you feel good and wear this? Like positive. And she got rid of half of her closet. She was like, half of my clothes made me feel bad about myself. And I'm like, right. out, 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 out. We don't want things that make us feel bad about ourselves. And so I think that when you're looking to invite someone into your life, cleaning out the excess makes space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I always say like, if it's not your favorite, you're probably not going to wear it. You know, we always have multiple <laughs> options and then you're like, okay, well, is that your second favorite? No. Okay. Well, if it's definitely not your second favorite, then it's definitely something to let go of. But uh, I wanted to ask you, what do we lose out on when we don't confront our emotional clutter blocks and our emotional clutter magnets? Oh, wow. Well, we, we lose out on showing up in our lives. You Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's a way in the same way, I kind of akin it to overeating or over drinking that it makes you not present, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're managing your stuff. You're worried about your stuff. You're dealing with your stuff. You don't want to have people over because of your stuff. It takes you out of your life. And it's also a time suck. It's a time suck and a money suck. Like if you're constantly decluttering or trying or not even decluttering and just trying to get organized and you have too much, it's just waste your time. Like I love to declutter, but it's, I don't do it on the weekends. Like I want to go, you know, walk my dog with and go to farmer's market. And, you know, you really lose out in showing up in your own life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that it's, it's almost a seek of an external solution when really it starts internally. And it's this sense of freedom that you get when you do confront those things. And even, even your book, I mean, once you become a minimalist, you're not a minimalist forever. You have to manage it. Right. And so. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that I, I love talking also about this sort of term minimalist, because I, I think that a lot of us have been sort of fed that it's like, well, you have to have five t-shirts, oh, yeah. you know, and you, it's like, look, if you're a family of five versus a single person, it's going to be different. And also your life is going to change. And I think that our relationship to our stuff is very fluid, right? What you need in your twenties versus your forties versus your seventies is very, very different. And that's also one of the things that I love to talk to my clients about, like, where are you in your life? What's next for you? What do you see in the next five years? You know, my clients in their sixties are like, yeah, we probably want to sell this house in the next five years. It's like, all right, well, let's get started on that journey. And so I think that where you are in your life has a big effect on your stuff and it's a journey. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I have to just bring it up because it, I, I have, my heart goes out to her, but I also have to giggle, you know, Marie Kondo, when she came out yep. was so dogmatic, you get 30 books and you need to take six months off of work and do your whole house. And, uh, you know, I have been declared my, my business for a long time. I was like, let's see how long this lasts. Well, two weeks ago, she was like, I had three kids. I can't do it anymore. I was yep. like, and here we are, you yep. know, when she's just being human and, going through it. And I have a lot of compassion, but I just think that this idea of like, it has to be one way. Mm -hmm. That's not how it is. You don't give yourself the room to, you know, move and be fluid. And that's what I want. I don't want you to be attached. I want you to be fluid. 
Mm-hmm. I always say that there's no rule book. It's about uh, designing a simpler and more intentional life for you, whatever that looks like. And everybody's lifestyle looks different. I mean, you could be very wealthy, but you live with intention, right? Or you could be working. I mean, it's, it's always interesting when people point out someone's salary. They're like, oh, someone could make 100K a year and be rich. And another person could be very poor. It's it's how you manage yeah. that money. And at the end of the day, you have to sit back and reflect, like, what do you want out of life? What is it that you're seeking? And, you know, I've I've actually come across a couple of people who are like, oh, I really want to move. Like, you know, I I think, I don't know if this is the city for me for relationships and I kind of want to move cities, but I have so much stuff and I have to manage all this stuff. I have to get rid of it. So they're delaying their life because of all that stuff. Oh, I hear that. I mean, I, that's what I do all the time. That's part of our huge business. And especially when people are sort of looking towards, you know, down the road, it's like, well, start now. Don't wait till you're in a panic and trying to get rid of it. And then you're making these hard decisions, like free yourself up so that let's say like, like, like think about that person who's saying, well, I have so much stuff. I can't move. Let's say this amazing job opportunity, or you meet the partner and you want to move and you're like, now I'm in a panic and I've got to deal with it. But I feel like sort of be need to be ready to make those changes at at all times. You know, I love what you say about being intentional. And one of the first mm-hmm. things that I have people, this just made me, I, I want to, I want people to hear this because this is such an easy shift in living an intentional life and being intentional about our stuff. One of the things I tell people is stop saying, I need, I need a new pair of jeans. I need a new winter coat. I need new coffee mugs. I'm going to guarantee you that 99% of the people listening do not need a new pair of jeans. Now, you may want a new pair of jeans, and that's okay. But start saying that. Start saying, I want. I want a new pair of jeans. Because then you're being truthful with yourself. Then you can start to go like, oh, well, can I actually afford it? Or is it a bad financial decision to buy a $200 pair of jeans right now. Can I find those at the thrift store? Like if you take away the need of it, you can make an intentional decision that best supports your life without beating yourself up, without like buying and having to return that you're like, oh no, I actually don't need it. I just want it. Well, what's really going on that I want that? Well, you know what? I kind of having a sad day today because my grandma passed away or I'm missing my grandmother. Can I call Mm -hmm. somebody else? Like if you're honest and intentional, it takes all the power away. Yeah. I remember highlighting in your book that you said that we overuse the word need. It's true. We do. I mean, we also advocate for a a wants and a need list. I think it's smart because you, you identify what's on your not needs and your wants. And then you, you realize a lot of the things that you want, you actually don't want. <laughs> yeah, and you didn't need. Well, <clears throat> if you want to take that wants and needs list one step further, do a monthly report of your Amazon spending. You can run a report through mm-hmm. Amazon. Take Do a monthly spreadsheet. Do a monthly, everything you bought on Amazon and go next to it and write a W or an N. Like, did you really need that or did you just want it? Ooh. And it'll like, you'll be like, oh, wow. Oh, I did not. I did not. I did not. You know, and 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 to do it not to, again, beat yourself up, but to be aware that oh, I'm buying out of what I've hidden as needs, but it's really just want. So what's missing in my life that I'm trying to fill? What am mm-hmm. I looking for? And can I find it somewhere else? 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've heard this, this quote, but uh, the minimalist TK Coleman, he always says that physical clutter is a manifestation of internal clutter. And in your books, you, you reinforce this idea by sharing how people buy things in an attempt to escape our problems. And I'm curious, can you share an example of how you've helped a client with maybe a shopping addiction work through their emotional clutter magnet? You know, I had, uh, I, I have a couple great ones. I have a personal one. I, oh, wow. la- a couple weekends ago, went shopping at the outlets with a family member who triggers a lot of stuff. And I was very sort of blase, like, oh, this will be, it's fine, you know, da, 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 da. And it sort of been in this experience with them. And I found myself shopping like a drunken sailor. Like I was like, and everything was final sale. And I was like, buying, 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 buying. And I got in my car and I literally had a stuff hangover. I was like, what happened? What? And I was like, oh, right. That was emotionally challenging. That, that was super triggering. That was all sorts of awful things. And I didn't take care of myself. And I tried to shop those feelings away. And now I feel worse. Mm -hmm. So I sat with it and I was like, okay, next time, can't return it because you, you know, you bought it on final sale. I wear it. It's it's fine. But you know, uh, it's next time you're either gonna not put yourself in that situation, like let's do something else, let's not go shopping give myself a budget. You got a hundred dollars to blow, blow it away. Call a friend. Like I didn't set myself up for success and I was trying to shop the problems away. And so many times when I deal with people who have a shopping addiction, because it's very real shopping problem, what's missing in your life? What mm-hmm. are you running from? Are you unhappy in your partnership? Are you unhappy in your job? You know, I had this woman and it's such a visual, and we will all relate to this. She was in a super stressful job. And she said every day after work, she would go to, you know, like a discount, like Marshall's or, you know, one of those, I don't know if you have them in Canada, but yeah, we do. you know, one of those discount, yeah, one of those discount stores. And she was like, and she said, you know, and I would just, the like click, 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 click of the hangers, like would, would calm me down because I knew I was going to find a bargain and I was going to treat myself. And then when I went to her house, she had a whole room that was full of Marshall's bags with the clothes still in them. Like she never ended up even wearing them. Wow. She just, the process of of shopping made her feel better for a little bit. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, it was, I don't know, $5,000, $10,000, like some, some large sum of money yep. that she never wore that we just ended up donating. And I was like, okay, but we can do this. I can take this away. But until we talk about what you're going to replace that behavior with, it's going to happen again. Like, you know, can you go to the gym after work? Can you, you know, volunteer and read it a library? Like it's what you've got to replace that behavior and you've got to figure out what drove you there. Because if we just declutter and don't talk about it, you're just going to buy it all over again. Wow. Oh my gosh. And so you asked her, what are your interests? What are the other things that you can do to keep busy instead? I mean, again, that feeling that we get when we buy stuff is so fleeting. It does not last. 17 seconds. I think Matt, I think, I think it, the studies have shown 17 to 20 seconds. That's so short. That's so short. And then you see your credit card bill and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think it's also, but I think it's, you said something interesting. It's, it's even a little bit deeper than what can you do to keep busy? It's also 
what's not fulfilling. So for this woman, her work wasn't fulfilling and, you know, she made a good salary. And I was like, well, maybe your purpose, you know, which we try and magnetize through buying stuff, maybe your purpose, your work is just your work. And maybe you can find your purpose in volunteering, being of service. Like maybe your purpose doesn't, you know, for a lot of people, their purpose doesn't come from their work, but we all need a purpose. So where do you look to find that? I mean, what I love about your your book is that you share so many stories and I'm always excited for the next story that you're going to share. You've, you've, I mean, you've been doing this for 15 years. You're an endless yeah. book, but you do share one that really stuck with me. It was one about someone who had lost their dance studio. I think it was over the pandemic and they placed a lot of their self-worth on that studio that they owned. And when they didn't have it, they started resorting to buying all these skincare products because they're like, okay, well, my value is my beauty. And so I need to keep youthful. And wow, like that hit me because in my, in my previous life, I used to be a model. And so I, I'm so happy that I transitioned from those experiences at the age of 24, because uh, yeah. I didn't want that to be my value come in my mid thirties and forties. And that's really hard for someone because you're, you're thinking, okay, that's my value. Then I need to do everything I can to stay youthful. And that's unhealthy, right? So it's super unhealthy. I mean, she, you know, she was so lost and over shopping and, you know, it was like, and I don't want to say it was a simple solution, but I was like, why are you not teaching a dance class in the park? Like mm -hmm. everybody else, it's the, it's LA. And it's like, she was like, oh, and she just mm -hmm. started teaching what she loved. And, you know, I just heard from her recently, like she's getting ready to rent another state. You can always reinvent yourself. I have this, another client who I think at the time she was 80 or 85. And she was, she was like in the era of mad men, the advertising agencies. Okay. She like climbed her way to the, she was the first woman to win ad man of the year. They wow. didn't even rename it for her. She was the first woman to, to win it. And she tells the story that she went to go accept her award and it was held at a club in LA that didn't allow women as members. So to go accept her ad man of the year award, she had to take the freight elevator. They wouldn't let her in the, in the main elevator. Um, so she went up in the freight elevator and there was like a trash cans in the way. And she was like, I held my head high and I walked into my ball gown. And I was like, I don't, I'm in this room no matter what. But when I was decluttering her house, she kept buying all these like exercise gadgets, like hmm. just, and I was like, you know, yes, of course you want to stay fit and she wanted to keep healthy, but it was like an, oh, and she's like, oh, I just, I got to get my weight down. I got to, you know, it's just like all the conversations were about her physical appearance. And I was like, there's this whole part of your, like your whole part of your life that you're not taking in. Like you're so obsessed with how you look and not staying healthy. And we really unpacked that. And she started volunteering at that, like the local Better Business Bureau, SBA, like a business organization to mentor young women who are starting their own business. And I was like, there you go. Yes. There you go. Like take your life experience and give it back to someone that is going to make you feel so much better than a thigh master. Oh my gosh. And, and, uh, <laughs> and at the end of the day, we're not using that thought. She, she probably wasn't using that anyways. Right. We have no, all this. Equipment. She was going to exercise class at the senior center. She wasn't <laughs> even using it. That was, they were all new in boxes. 
Yeah. I always say people are going to see you as more beautiful anyways, when you've done all these things and you have all these stories to share and you have this beautiful energy about you. That is the most beautiful thing. Who cares about a few wrinkles like you? That means that you've lived, you've had experiences. And that's something that I really, really love to push. Kelly, I do. I want to, I always tell people, how do you feel standing naked in an empty room? Mm, Yeah, that's a challenge. Like, how do you feel standing naked in an empty room? How do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about your life? How do you feel about the choices you've made? How do you feel standing naked in an empty room? Yeah, I, I'm, I hope our listeners are trying to answer that question. I, I, You know what? I always say that when I'm talking about, I value people who have lived and have gone through hardship and have taken risks in their life. I really do. And I, it goes back to the idea of, Everybody's naked in a room. You know, yeah. what's going to be the most interesting thing or the people that have the most interesting stories to share and the best energy and the confidence, right? It's not about the things that you own, right? It's not all the stuff that you've accumulated that makes me attracted to you. It's the energy, right? At the end of the day, we're all we're all people. These are just things that we add to our lives. I I heard this I was at a funeral for my godmother this week who was lived to be 94 and of course wow. it was beautiful and she went in her sleep and I'm sad for me but she was very ready to go and you know and the rabbi who held the service he said I had never heard this before he said we are not human beings having a spiritual experience we are spiritual beings having a human experience mm. and I was like right like the like we get so mucked and mired in the stuff because that's the human experience, but the connecting and these conversations and the seeing of friends and the making of friendships that's the spiritual, that's the spiritual experience. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, and whatever your faith or lack of faith, you know, whatever that is totally aside, but that at the end, you're not going to think back about what you bought. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about my grandparents who I was very close to and I was missing my grandmother a lot. And I don't know what, I was like, I can't remember one thing they ever bought me. And I know they bought me gifts. I know they sent me birthday, but I can't remember one. I can remember cooking in the kitchen. I can remember being taught to sew. I can Mm -hmm. remember watching Jeopardy with my grandma. I can remember all of the experiences, but I cannot tell you, I, I can't tell you one thing they bought for me. Oh, wow. That's good. I mean, that's, that's, that's how great. we want it to be, right? That's, I mean, yeah, that's exactly how we want it to be. And as you, you know, you, that's, the, that's exactly how you want it to be. When everybody, and when anybody asks me, what's, what's the best uh, reward that you gain from letting go of all the stuff? I always say it's self-confidence. Number one, you get fully, you fully understand who you are. You get there. Obviously you're always learning, but you get to a place where you have this inner peace. And the second piece is I gained space back to connect with others. So you have this greater sense of connection and you start to turn outwards. It's not about personal development. You're just focused on you. It's about focusing outward and then helping others and leading the way for others. And I think that's the big, biggest benefit. So yeah, absolutely. I look, there's, that. there's no, I mean, the book is called make space for happiness for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. That it's, it's opening the space up that what makes you happy? Because if you're mucked and mired in the stuff, you can't see a potential partner. You can't see a job change. You can't see, you know, you, you're so distracted. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's that thing of like, 
it's not about focusing on what you're letting go of. It's focusing on what you're going to gain when you let go. Yeah. People will be surprised about how much you gain when you let go. They think, oh, we're just losing. No, no, no. You're actually gaining. So I I want to move over and and talk about, uh, you share some alarming stats about how clutter is incredibly wasteful. You share how the average consumer buys 60 more pieces of clothing annually than they did 15 years ago. I was like, what? (laughs) And they keep them for half as long. And the U.S. spends 294 million tons of municipal solid waste per year. I was like, Wow. Okay. So to help us live more sustainably, can you share a couple of tips to help us reduce our clothing waste? Absolutely. So the first thing is I always tell people, start asking yourself, when I throw something away, where is a way? Mm. Where's a way? It's a landfill. That's where it is. So when you start to understand that, you're like, oh, you know, when we buy an object or we acquire an object, we become the steward of it. It is our responsibility. So you also have to think when I'm done with it, where is it going to go? So if I'm down the fast fashion rabbit hole and there are now 52 or 54 micro seasons, like, you know, we are being told you need something new, you need something new. We have to think about the consequences of these actions. We have to think about the fact that the clothes were manufactured in Asia and they were by people who are being paid less than a living wage, you know, that they're put on a ship and they're sent across the sea and there's pollutants that are going on. And then we throw it away. You know, we have to start understanding that this stuff goes somewhere and it's a landfill. And I think, I also think that I I talk about this in the book, this thing I call the donation myth, where people Mm. buy things and they're like, well, when if I'm done with it, I can just donate it. Mm. Okay. Well, you know, if you're buying, thinking about when you're going to let go, why are you buying it? And Mm. also when you donate it, that's resources, that thrift store, that donation place, they have to hire people to go through it. If it's stained, they can't sell it. If it's ripped, it's not sold. So if you're if you're sort of justifying your buying because, well, I'll just donate it when I'm done, you got to stop. You've got to start thinking about the consequences of when you acquire, where does it go? Mm, yeah. It's, a, it's something else you mentioned in your book. You said, just remember that every item in your home, you brought into your home. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, That's scary. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, clients look at me like some masked bandit came in and they're like, I don't know where all this stuff came from. I'm like, well, you brought it in. Like you <laughs> literally brought it in. And so I yeah. think that that, att- that goes back to being intentional. Mm-hmm. Do I want this thing in my life? Do I want to be responsible for it? You know, in some ways, it's sort of how we view our, you know, our our, rela- our romantic relationships. Like, do I want this person in my life? Do I want to be responsible for them? You know, it's the same thing with our stuff. Do I want to be resp- do I want to buy this thing and be responsible for it? You could actually use that example in another way as well. You give it the example of how, you know, a dish towel, you know, maybe it's it's kind of, you know, it has like holes in it or something, or maybe a shirt that you love that has holes in it. But rather than repairing it, you're like, oh, I'll just buy a new one. Right. And same with relationships sometimes. Like, oh, there's a little bit of an issue. Well, instead of working out, oh, I can just find another one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I said to a friend recently who was talking about getting divorced. And I was like, you know, I was like, I, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of good, like, 
do you want to start all over again? Like maybe, you know, that we just, and I think that's the thing. And I also think that, that you brought up something great, like really getting back into this idea of, can we repair things? Can we buy things that are repairable? I just took my favorite cowboy boots. I bought them 25 years ago. I love them. I just took them to the shoe repair, got a new sole put on them, got them glued back together, got them cleaned. I'm like, these are fantastic. So I think that when we start looking at the stuff that we purchase, if it breaks, can we repair it? Is this shirt, you know, if the button falls off, is it worth putting a new button on? Like all of a sudden when you start buying a different quality, it, it extends its life. It really does. It's kind of like, oh, wow, I got a new shoe. It's yeah, exciting. yeah, totally, totally. And I have to say, I really love, there are a couple, um, Michelle Obama's been doing this and Princess, I guess she, Princess Kate, William and Kate, she's been really great about rewearing outfits, like changing it up a little, like really like not this thing of like, she has to be seen in something new all the time. And love I it. love this, I love this trend. It's, I just saw something, oh, Kate Blanchett, I just saw her on, on Go Fug Yourself, the, that the site. And it was like, they put it up, like she wore something in 2009 and just wore it again. And it was like, Oh my God, that dress is gorgeous. Like, why is it hanging in a closet? This idea that you can only wear things once. As I mentioned, I have my upcoming uh, wedding and everything I bought for the events I can wear again, even the wedding dress. That's so nice. Oh my God. I was like, I don't want something that I'm just going to wear you know, I, I just, I want to be able to wear it again. The shoes I'll wear again. You know, I just, it's like this idea of like, I'm going to have the pictures. I'm going to have that day immortalized in pictures. I want to wear the dress again. I love it. I bought it because I love it. Oh, I love that. And you know what? I always remind our listeners, most people aren't going to notice that you're wearing the same thing a second time. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Kate Blanchett because she's in the media and they've got tons of pictures of her, but no one's going to know. No one is thinking about, oh, she wore that dress on Tuesday and she's wearing it again on Friday. No one's going to know. Do your hair different. Swap a shirt. Like it's it's yeah, very no, easy. Put a scarf on, change your earrings. Yes. No yes. one knows. Everyone is so paying attention to themselves. No one right. notices. Right, and right. we're so like, oh, what do they think? And I'm like, oh, please. You know, I, I, I yeah. think it's, and the feeling that we get the feeling that we get of living more sustainably, knowing that we're doing our part is so great. Mm-hmm. Like it's like getting those cowboy boots back. I was like, first of all, I love them. Like I yeah. love them. They're so comfy. They're adorable. You know, I can, I bought them on my first trip to Brooklyn. Like I've just lived a life in them. And I'm also like, and I didn't buy a new pair of shoes. It cost me $25 to repair them. Like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's so great. And maybe there's memories attached to it, right? So, but I'll, I'll leave this discussion with the minimalists. They always say that we're in kind of a, a, a stuffitis. It's called a stuffitis crisis. They said that the average American tosses 88 pounds of clothes each year, yet we keep buying more when we actually need less. Yes, we yep. actually need less. Yep. And I, I love that you reinforce that in your books. And you also talk about how clutter can raise our cortisol levels or stress us out. Now, when it comes to, you know, managing the noise from marketers and the social pressure, what can we do? Because all of these things are telling us to own more stuff. You know, I think it's I think it's a matter of teaching yourself media literacy, mm. like understanding. You know, I, I watched this video from this 
a woman on TikTok yesterday who's like this whole like de-influencing trend. Like, you know, she had this giant bag of makeup and skincare, and she was like, "I'm showing you all these products I bought because of Instagram and TikTok that I'm now getting rid of." And I was like, "Okay." And I, I actually want to stitch this video because what I want to say is, "Okay, you have this impulse to buy. Stop. Exactly what you said. Stop. Read the reviews." Don't, don't just listen to the influencer, go on the mm -hmm. website, read the reviews. What do people think? Like, actually, when you get, to, you know, is it, can you buy it? Does it have a return policy? You know, if you don't like it, can you return it? Like do your due diligence so that when you finally make a purchase, you're smart about it, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to not be tempted, but put a little, safety net in that, okay, I don't buy anything that I haven't read five reviews on. Great. I don't buy anything that doesn't have a return policy. Uh, outlet mall, final sales, this one right here. Yeah. Right. I did it myself. Right. Like a couple of those little chat, like, you know, checkpoints that's going to help you like, oh, right. I got to read five other reviews and I have to make sure it has a return policy. Great. Mm -hmm. There you go. There you go. You're going to be marketed to, but you need to educate yourself and you need to put some checkpoints in and you need to like, can I afford it? Like always mm -hmm. going back to a budget is always a great place to start. What do I, what's my discretionary income? What can I spend? Do I want to spend my money? Another great thing. And I talk about this in the book. We all know what our time, we are paid for our time. Even if you have a salary job, you can do the math and you're like, okay, I basically get X amount an hour. So then when you go to look to buy something, you're like, is this worth six hours of work to buy this? Right. Wow. I'd have to work six hours at my job that I don't really love to be able to afford it. Is it worth it? When you do that, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. Or carrying cash and real, cause it yeah. just feels different versus using a car. You're like, oh, that's $250. When you're putting down bills, it just feels more expensive. I started doing, cause I'm trying to accrue miles to use for the honeymoon. Cause I'm like, right. I'm using these miles. So I started when I make a big purchase, I just immediately pay it. Even though I'm putting it on a credit card, I immediately pay it. So I feel like I, I make the purchase and then I pay the credit card down. And so I feel the money going out of my checking account. And it's like, ooh, ooh, that lowered the balance. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's being on top of debt. <laughs> yep, I love that. Yep, I love that. Yep, yep, exactly. So I think it's, you know, I think it goes back to what you guys talk about. It's just intentionality, mm -hmm. being intentional. We're humans. We're not going to do it perfect, but once it's almost like you can't unsee it. Once you start taking all this stuff into consideration, once you start taking it, I, I talk about this in the book. I used to, when I first moved to LA, I used to go to this coffee shop and I would eat a scone every day and they were delicious. And like my pants got a little tight and I was like, I don't know what this is about. And then I baked scones for the first time. I was like, oh, this is why they're full of butter. Yeah, they they're are literally full of butter. Well, we'll see, you know, so it's, it's like, I can't unsee it. So now when I eat a scone, it's very intentional. Like, great. I like, I know what I'm doing. I'm making this choice. And it's about being mindful and being aware and being intentional. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. I love this. I should add that we we actually do some simple living consultations with our listeners and we do Q&A episodes. And through those experiences, we realize that the areas that people have the most trouble with are, you know, their garage, their junk drawers, their hobbies and crafts. And I'm curious, what are the areas that you see that people have the most difficulty with? And what Gar- are some items that you maybe see? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, garages for sure. Closets, closets for me. It's like, I just see so many closets where it's like, what is your, what are your taxes doing in your closet? Like your clothing closet, um, junk drawers, kitchens, you know, and it's just everything. One of the things that I created that has absolutely blown up. I do on TikTok and Instagram, mostly in TikTok and Instagram. I do these yeah. five minute decluttering challenges where I take something, a category, quick hit, get in, get out. And I have been getting DM after DM after DM of people who say, I did your 20, your five minute decluttering challenges. I've done my whole house. (gasps) Like I didn't even realize it. Like I started at the coffee mugs and I just took it day by day. And it's, they're all in a playlist on Instagram. They're on YouTube. And it's just, it's like, it's not this big arduous thing. You're like, all right, today I'm going to do coffee cups. I got 10 minutes right now. I'm going to do my pens, you know, and they were so, and breaking it down into bite-sized pieces for people made it so achievable. Okay. I will include a link in our show notes for sure. Uh, and, to, and to start to close, I have a couple of rapid fire questions for you. So what Yay. words would you use to describe a clutter-free minimalist home? Restful, shareable, and peaceful. Hmm. Beautiful. What is the best feedback you've ever received from a client? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm sure you've received. Yeah. What I have, what's (laughs) the best feedback I've ever received from a client? Um, you know what? It, It was one of the things that makes you the, so good at what you do is that you actually hear me. That so much of my work is just listening and hearing people. Wow, that makes me think that you're you're helping people like feel seen. That's so beautiful. Yeah, it really is therapy. Oh, one thousand percent. Yeah, yeah. What message would you like to leave our listeners with today to further motivate them to realize their emotional clutter blocks and magnets? That you are enough without your stuff. You bring a magic and a light and a flavor to this world that we need. And it has nothing to do with your stuff. That was the perfect quote. I need to share that on our Instagram. (laughs) It's so true. We are more than our things. We are more than the things on our back, the things that we own in our homes. And again, we can grow as humans so much more if we're not weighed down by these things. So, well, thank you so much, Tracy. This is so wonderful. I could talk to you forever. You are (laughs) so energetic. I love it because usually people are like, oh, you're so energetic. You're more energetic than me. And I'm like, I love it. It's so I, I This lights me up. I love talking about this. You were fantastic. Thank you so, so much for having me on. Yeah, no problem. No problem. I, I, and I just wanted to conclude. I mean, what I really learned from both your books is I learned to understand that letting go of clutter blocks and clutter magnets gives us the ability to manage the clutter in our lives and create space for feelings of happiness, true connection, free time, self-confidence, and, and so much more. And I highly recommend that everybody read both books. There's a great connection between each book. So read the first one first and the second one second. Now, where can our listeners find you? 
Absolutely. So tracymccubbin.com is my website. And if you go on and sign up for my newsletter, you can get a downloadable PDF of 25 things to declutter in under five minutes. If you like a checklist, which everybody does. Um, and then Instagram and TikTok. I'm at Tracy underscore McCubbin on Instagram and at Tracy McCubbin on TikTok. And I I put about three, two to three new five minute challenges every week. There's just lots of stuff going on. It's We have a really good time over there. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I will include all of those, those, those links in the show notes. So, all right. Well, thanks, Chasey. And uh, the next time in LA, I, I will definitely send you a line because I would love yes, to. Yes, 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 yes. Right. I'd love to, I'd love to connect in person. Yeah, that would be amazing. And everybody check out Declutterfy. Oh my gosh. Incredible. I wish, I wish you were here in Toronto because my parents <laughs> really used your services. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. That was my conversation with the energetic and insightful Tracy McCubbin, who is a best-selling author and the founder and CEO of LA's premier decluttering firm, Declutterfy. And I hope that this episode has left you feeling inspired to start paring down the things in your home so that you can live a lighter and more intentional every day. I highly recommend reading both of Tracy's books, which include Making Space Clutter-Free, the last book on decluttering you'll ever need, and her latest read, Make Space for Happiness, How to Stop Attracting Clutter and Start Magnetizing the Life You Want. In each of these books, Tracy shares so many decluttering techniques, and she details her experiences with clients to help you reflect on your own clutter problems. You'll be challenged to think about the clutter blocks that may be holding you back from letting things go and the clutter magnets that may be causing you to buy things you don't need. And you can learn more about Tracy, her services at Declutterfly and her decluttering worksheets by checking out the links in our show notes. And lastly, as always, I want to say thank you to all of you who have taken a moment to write us a kind five-star rating review on iTunes. Your reviews keep us super motivated and help our podcast grow and bring on more exciting guests like Tracy. So thanks again for listening and I will speak with you soon. Bye-bye.